Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Um, Sexaholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. There are no dues or fees for SA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. SA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sexually sober and help others to achieve sexual sobriety. And uh, I think that for the recording's sake, my name is Marty. I'm a recovering sexaholic. And uh, I'm going to pass the microphone to Steve here. Thanks, Marty. I'm Steve. I'm a sexaholic. I've been sober since... August the 5th, 2001, and for that, I truly cannot be sufficiently grateful. Um, I'm grateful for the way this uh, session is worded um, regarding step 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. We tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Um, I think many times when, we, when I think of step 12, um, and, and what, what I often hear is there's a great emphasis on carrying the essay message to sexaholics and less of an emphasis on practicing these principles in all our affairs. And to me, it's a very important part of carrying the message. Um, I learned the, uh, how to work the steps out of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous from an AA sponsor. And that, by the way, that's the same thing that the founder of our fellowship did. And it's my understanding of the reason why, historically, and it's part of the, 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 the essay way, um, the essay program, all of the AA literature is fellowship approved for use in our fellowship. So um, when I worked the steps out of the big book, there was a change in the basis for living. And the old basis was one in which my primary purpose was how do I get what I want, or how do I get what I think I need, or how do I get everybody else to do what I believe they ought to be doing? And um, and I would say I practice that principle in all my affairs. <laughs> and um, I'm I'm very very. Um, Grateful uh, much of the time. But with that gratitude comes a responsibility to see honestly the wreckage that, that I caused by being so tragically devoted to that self-centered principle. And the decision in the third step to change my basis to where my primary purpose, my definition of success is no longer did I get what I want or do I feel the way I want to feel. My definition of success today is am I being who I'm supposed to be? Are my actions in line with what I believe is right? And um, it's, it's impossible for me 
to make that change on my own because self is the source of this wrong way of living and self cannot be the source of the solution to the problem, which is self. Um, All my affairs means every day after today, not just today. Um, But I made a decision to turn my will and my life. I do live the program one day at a time, but I made a decision to turn my whole life over to God. And I don't get my life all at once. I get it 24 hours at a time. So that's the way I have to turn it over, is 24 hours at a time. If my decision was real, then I'm going to carry it out one day at a time. And um, so I have to remember what all means. Um, I really should have, I think I know what all means, which is a good sign that I probably need to look it up in the dictionary and read the definition there. Um, All my affairs includes what I do when I think nobody's watching. Because I never know who's watching. And one of the things that I keep realizing as I experience an awakening as a result of these steps is that God knows how to do stuff. And there are things going on that I can't see. There are things happening right now that are going to converge on some future moment that I'm going to experience. And if I'm practicing according to the old principles, I'm going to miss what God's doing. I've got a few examples of where, as a result of following instructions and doing what I was taught to do in these rooms and with with the sponsors that God has sent me, I was able to see something really incredible. And I've talked about this many times. I was following instructions when I was in a courtroom about almost 12 years ago. And a man that I now sponsor was being sentenced. And I had been in in a sentencing hearing and after one year of sobriety, he had one year of sobriety, and he was having a sentencing hearing. At my sentencing hearing, I was very, very scared. I got two years of probation, which is a suspended sentence. I got, I got a great deal of mercy. In the courtroom he was in, the best deal he could get was a... 15-year sentence with mandatory requirement to serve 100% of that sentence. And I didn't want to be in that courtroom. It scared me. It brought up all kinds of feelings. And I didn't want to see him get this horrible punishment that I had been spared. But I made a decision to be there because I was taught to be there. And as a result of being there, my life changed in a very profound way. I got an awakening that I couldn't have received in any other way. And if I had just decided not to go, I never would have known that I had missed that. When when I was living the old way of living, I harmed people who were defenseless. Children. I harmed children They did not deserve to be treated the way I treated them. It was not God's will. I don't know the results of that harm. I don't know how far down 
one wrong leads. And I can't figure that out. But what I'm learning is that I can't figure out what God can do with one right thing that I think nobody else will notice. You know, if nobody notices it and says, oh, look, Steve did that, then in my self-will I think, oh, it doesn't really matter. But the truth is, this fellowship and this program that's saving our lives is here because some people that, you know, died before I came into the program did some little things to save their own lives, to stay sober for one day that resulted in this fellowship coming into existence. I think about Bill Wilson, the founder of AA, being in Akron, Ohio in 1935 with six months of sobriety, realizing he's in danger of getting drunk and he knows what's going to happen if he gets drunk again. And he knows that the principle he needs to follow, I mean, he's being drawn into this fear and anger about this business deal that isn't going the way he thinks he, it should go. And he chooses to, to reach out to this other principle of trying to help another alcoholic. And he realizes he's got to find an alcoholic. And he just picks up a payphone and starts calling churches. And if he hadn't made that choice, uh, we wouldn't be here. Um, that's practicing these principles in all our affairs. There's a saying uh, in the 12 and 12. In tradition one, I always have trouble remembering where it is, but a man from AA who helped me a great deal showed me this line. It's on page 130, and it says... The AA member has to conform to the principles of recovery. His life actually depends on a, 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 upon obedience to spiritual principles. If he deviates too far, the penalty is sure and swift. He sickens and dies. At first he goes along because he must, but later he discovers a way of life he really wants to live. Moreover, he finds he cannot keep this priceless gift unless he gives it away. Neither he nor anybody else can survive unless he carries the AA message. The moment this 12th step work forms a group, another discovery is made that most individuals cannot recover unless there is a group. Realization dawns that he is but a small part of a great whole that no personal sacrifice is too great for preservation of the fellowship. He learns that the clamor of desires and ambition within him must be silenced whenever these could damage the group. It becomes plain that the group must survive or the individual will not. And I love that whole paragraph. There's a sentence in the middle. I never would have noticed this if this... Montana Bob had not pointed this out to me. He's, the moment the 12th step work forms a group. I was, when I moved to Memphis, I was part of getting a group started in Memphis. And my general way of seeing things is, is to think of, so I, I, I formed a group. But there is a principle at work when I'm surrendering and, and trying to seek this design for living that comes on this new basis, this new principle. There is a principle at work in my actions, just like there was a dark principle at work in, in my, my pursuit of lust. And this is what forms the group. It's this 12-step work. God does stuff. When I surrender to this way of living, stuff happens that I just cannot see.
And the last thing I'd like to share about is also I received it from this man, Montana Bob. Montana Bob was a trusted servant in AA, and at a certain point he made a decision to accept an invitation to be a a trusted servant for our fellowship. And he made that decision because he was practicing these principles in all his affairs. And he pointed out on page 109 in step 12, it says, what about the rest of the 12th step? The wonderful energy it releases in the eager action by which it carries our message to the next suffering alcoholic and which finally translates the 12 steps into action upon all our affairs is the payoff, the magnificent reality of Alcoholics Anonymous. This The awakening that's promised in the 12 steps, the spiritual experience that's sufficient to bring about victory over alcoholism or sexaholism, it causes a passion to carry the message to others. Whether that's being in a service structure, whether that's being a sponsor, whether that's being a good husband or a good father or a good son or brother, however... God wants me to carry the message today. It's a spiritual barometer. It's how I take my own temperature or pulse and find out what my spiritual condition status is. If I don't have this passion to carry the message by practicing these principles in all my affairs, something's wrong with my spiritual condition. I need to I need to take some medicine. Thank you for being my medicine. Thank you, Steve. Um, uh, Marty, sexaholic. Um, in most of my life, particularly in my addiction, uh, was spent living a life that was fragmented, that was, uh, I've heard it described as mosaic, where there, each part of my life has no overlap into the rest of my life. And, and some might define the term integrity as being the same inside and outside, no matter where I am. And I was the dictionary definition of not integrity. <laughs> and uh um so when I came into the into the room, you know, I thought, you know, this was just another little shoebox on the shelf of something I did in my life that uh well as soon as I take care of this then everything will be okay. And because uh, I just needed to stop masturbating and looking at pornography. My wife would have a bigger list than that, but uh, um, <laughs> and and strangely enough, the for me the hardest place to work my program is the place that I've done the most damage, which is in my home. And uh, you know, the old me would always work to disguise what was really going on. You know, I I had a, a disease that really resembled an iceberg, um, you know, and and I concealed it, lied about it, deceived people, particularly my wife uh, and others in my life, by the the lying by omission, um, and so my wife kind of had this assumption that you know every time I would you know 
struggle. It was one out of ten times. And in reality, it was 9.9 out of 10. And the other point one was pure white knuckle self-will. Um, and so uh, when the book talks about, uh, and Steve's my sponsor, so uh, when he says he's worked the steps out of the big book, that means that's where I'm going to. Um, the... Uh, the idea of of this going or spreading throughout all of my affairs um, was just a like, it just happened as I went along um, because my spot I'd call my sponsor not only when I was struggling with lust but whenever I was struggling with this problem called my wife or my kids or <laughs> at some point I was given a, a gift at a at a uh, uh, one of the conventions said it's not them, um, and so wherever I go in my life, there I am. And so I think that means I've got to carry the solution with me around everywhere I go in all my affairs. Uh, in the big book on page eighty-five, uh, it's easy to let up on our on the spiritual program of action and to rest on our laurels. We are headed for trouble if we do, for alcohol is a subtle foe. We are not cured of alcoholism. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into all of our activities. How can I best serve thee? Thy will, not mine, be done. These are thoughts which must go with us constantly. We can exercise our willpower along this line all we wish. It is the proper use of the will. And, uh, you know, the, the disturbances in my life have always had to do with my, the old basis, self-will. And, uh, the new basis to me, when I, when I came in the program, uh, yeah, I was kind of like the guy in, uh, I'm, page 155 of the, of the big book where uh, it says, when our friend related his experience, the man agreed that no amount of willpower he might muster could stop his drinking for long. A spiritual experience he conceded was absolutely necessary, but the price seemed high on the basis suggested. You know, this is kind of drastic. This is, this is kind of over the top, isn't it? I mean, you had 90 meetings in 90 days, you know, what, call two people every day? Uh, call you? Like, that was, that was just extreme. You know, kind of out of control. Not like me. And, uh, <laughs> and so, so what I found was that my problems went beyond just lust, pornography, masturbation. Um, I was sharing with somebody earlier that my step one, two, three in the morning, if nothing else, shows the uh, growing awareness of my powerlessness and to the extent to which my disease has reached in my world because now it's lust, pornography, fantasy, masturbation, my wife, my four children, my sponsor, my sponsees, all the people that work, and the list goes on ad infinitum. And um, so... Yeah, I'm, I want to share a story because I I, uh, I prefer the the stories of my of of experience, which is what I want to hear from you when I hear somebody speak. Is your experience in in what's being read about rather than just your opinion on it? And so, um, I uh, a gift of recovery for me has been uh, coaching uh, uh, sports and. Um, Wrestling and early in recovery, I was given the opportunity to to coach. My sons were part of the team, but it was a school team, and there was there was some sort of conflict. Um, I may have been a source of I don't know uh, with a parent and uh, the a wrestler on my team, and this parent was convinced that. I didn't know what I was doing and that I was the wrong person for the job. And it really was, it was hurtful. Um, you know, I had a hard time naming that it was disturbing. Uh, 
because this parent would go around to the other coaches and to the administrators at school and say, you need to get rid of this person. And, of course, my old way of, of dealing with this would have been to lash out, talk about this person behind their back, you know, show them up. You know, like I had a lot more on my side evidence-wise that that I did know what I was doing, but that that wasn't what uh, that wasn't going to help. And uh, um, and it continued. You know, I chose I chose the path of you know what I'm just not going to respond to that. Uh, I will take my hurt to God. I will tell my sponsor about it. I will uh, I will seek to be even fair and not transfer my angst with this parent to the wrestler, to, to the youth, um, because the youth wasn't even part of it. Um, and this continued for almost two years where this parent literally in a, in a tournament would walk up to one of the other wrestlers and say, when it's your turn to go, make sure you find a different coach. And, oh, my gosh, how many prayers did I say for this person? <laughs> <laughs> and even telling the story here, I can feel some of the energy of that. And but the the beautiful part of this is um, the principles of our program that span every experience that we can have, because my God spans every bit of my experience and my life. Was after four years. And the the child of this parent was no longer was no longer competing. The parent's older child, now a uh, a high school uh, age uh, athlete, was competing. And this parent comes over to me and says, "Will you come coach my son?" Ah, uh, I. I was. Uh, I thought I was going to be out of words, but as soon as the action started, I had plenty of words from the side of the side of the mat. But uh, um, and and to continue, um, yeah. And the directions that my sponsor gave me were: send love, pray for this person. They're spiritually sick, just like me. And that was really difficult at first. The more I practiced it, the more I exercised willpower in its correct form, align my will with God's will, um, the easier it got, no matter what this parent had said or done. And um, my wife is in recovery also, thank God. Uh, and I would share some of this with her, and <laughs> she got to say some of her own prayers for this person. <laughs> but... Beautiful person. The beautiful thing about this was six months later, this woman is sitting with my wife, telling her of how painful it's been for her and her son in in the school and the bullying that her child had endured, and all of these things that she was dealing with as a parent, and she's sharing this with my wife. She knows my wife. She knows who she is. And that would have never come about had I gone the way of the basis of self and, you know, returned the, the, the venom and the vigor that was sent my way. And uh, to this day, when I see her, she wants to come give me a hug. She wants to come say hello. Um, she says hello with a smile on her face when she sees my wife. And all of this is only possible through the power of God. And uh, yeah, getting to do that has been a great gift of recovery. And uh, um, and the the things that I see that come through the door are. Well, when I started, I thought I just had to teach them how to wrestle, how to how to do the moves. 
what I found out right away was all the life coming through the door with these kids. Addiction, abuse, uh, you know, broken homes, families running from Florida to Alaska because dad was trying to kill mother. Um, and, and what I get to give in all of my affairs, not just from, you know, the rooms where I, where I've been given the gift of all these sponsees who keep me sober to, to a, uh, to a world where I get to offer God's love to young people whose, whose lives are in disarray, who are, who are without hope, who are filled with shame because a parent is coming in staggering drunk. Um, that's the gift of recovery for me. And uh, for that, I'm never grateful enough. Steve, I'm a sexaholic. I'm Steve. We have a question. Um, how do I carry the message of my, my recovery and protect my anonymity? Okay. God knows the answer to this question. And... Um, there are principles that I think are in common, and I, and I have an experience which I think is really an expression of that principle, and it tells me what I need to do. It doesn't tell me what you need to do. My ego might tell me that, it, that, that I know what you need to do, but I don't believe that's real. So all I know or what I believe I know, is that the principle that shows me the answer to this question for me will show you the answer to this question for you. Um, my anonymity was completely lost in the pursuit of this disease. My face was on the Internet for about 13 or 14 years, a mugshot, a description of my offense. That's my anonymity. Gone, sacrificed in the pursuit of lust. My Everything was out there. It took me a long time to realize that just about nobody was as obsessed with me as I was with myself, and nobody was Googling my name on the Internet except me. But somewhere I, I understand that that's about me. I don't need to protect my anonymity while I carry the message. God's going to do that. Um, there are other people who haven't sacrificed their careers and their families and their marriages their anonymity. And the right thing for them is still an expression of these same principles, but it just doesn't look the same as it looks for me. So how do you, I carry the message of my recovery and protect my anonymity? Um, I listen to God talk through you, my sponsor, the lit literature, through my own heart, and the best I can do is what I believe God wants me to do. So I would say that if anyone changes their basis for living and starts making, doing God's will in their life their primary purpose, then this question will answer itself the way that we live our lives when we practice these principles in all our affairs is what carries the message. Not my words, not what I think I said, not what I think you heard. Uh, there's something that happens there. I don't, I don't believe that's insignificant. But 
that I've heard it said 90% of communication is nonverbal. And my actions speak louder than my words. So um, the answer, and the other thing is that this idea of anonymity is not just about protecting people from knowing who I am. There's a spiritual thing at work. It says in the 12 and 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all of our, our principles, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Sorry, I, I butchered that. Please look it up. Um, anonymity in that sentence isn't about like keeping my name uh, you know hidden from others that's not what's meant there anonymity I I was told by a a teacher very early is the state of having no name and it's the state that we come into this world with and so it's about being an undifferentiated child of God it's about being hidden people that I never met I will never know their names. Practice these principles in some way between Bill and Roy and the men who sponsored me. Thousands of lives, thousands of actions, carrying this little chain of cause and effect down to these moments that have saved my life. And so that's what anonymity is too. It's It's accepting the fact that it's not about me. Anyway, um, it's a good question. I'm going to let Marty um, take a crack at it. So how do I carry the message of my recovery and protect my enemy? Somebody was nice and wrote this big. Um, Like Steve said, there's those who didn't lose all in the pursuit of their disease and thank my God above that I didn't lose everything. I certainly could have. Um, and uh, you know, this was actually fairly recent. Um, and uh, the spiritual, in my, or in my uh, religious tradition, my pastor, uh, who knows my story um, to a large degree, not all of it, um, was excited to hear about my recovery and asked me if I would do a video for the body. And uh, I said no. Um, you know, first of all, I'm not sure how excited the, uh, the school would be that, uh, that I was doing what I was doing if you know, they knew what they thought they knew. Right. So, you know, my, my imagination when I first heard of Sexaholics Anonymous was pretty skewed. You know, it was really this, uh, monster in the closet, heavy breathing, whatever. Turns out you guys are all just like me. Um, people who struggle with lust and the compulsion of it. Um, and so, but what I did do was I told him that any time someone came to him who was struggling with this, please give my name and my phone number. My name includes my first name and my last name and my phone number. How else will this person know how to get help? Um, I can't remember where it is uh, where Chuck C. talks about that idea of how will people know how to get help if they don't know who it is that's gotten better. And so most of the time, my, uh, the fear around my quote anonymity, which like Steve said, is not keeping who I am a secret, uh, has to do with my fear of my acting out past being discovered. And the beauty is, is that today what I have is about recovery what people will hear is about my freedom from lust and the bondage that it had me in. And, um, and so I, I, there's several therapists in, uh, uh, in my city where, uh, they have my, my name and my phone number. And I regularly get referrals with somebody that's been given my name and my phone number and we'll meet up and we'll, and I share my story. Okay. My story is is my gift to give, my liability that has become my asset. 
Um, and, and so, uh, I am always, and, and I tell fellows in the fellowship as well, always feel free to share my number and my name with somebody. Because if, if I can help you, then I just get to share the gift of, of my own recovery. And I get to perpetuate my own recovery in that as well. Um, so, uh, that's, uh, that's my experience with the, uh, carrying the message in my anonymity. Any other uh, ask it cards? Okay. No questions? Questions about living problems, practicing these principles in all our affairs. How do I live? What's my design for living? The design for living that doesn't work, I know. How do I apply these principles? I find I find that the principles don't change, but I have to carry a willingness to accept that what works today in particular may not be what I need tomorrow. The exact things that brought me this wonderful energy and this wonderful desire, this feeling of happy, joyous, and free, this excitement and this energy and enthusiasm, may I may find myself doing the same things today that I did yesterday, and today... I feel dull and dreary, maybe even a little hopeless. Um, what's going on? Am I doing something wrong? And uh, when this happens, and it does happen to me in my experience, I do an inventory of, of what's going on. I talk to my sponsor. I pray. I, try, I take stock and see, is there something that I should be doing that I'm not doing? And this is a good practice. Sometimes it identifies something that changes everything and gets me back to feeling the way I want to feel. But sometimes I've needed... and This is my experience. This is what I believe. Sometimes I need to feel different than the way I want to feel. Because if I'm just feeling the way I want to feel, it gets me back into self. I mean, there's no conflict between... I mean, if I'm always feeling good, then feeling good becomes my primary purpose again. And so I love this thing I've heard about the roots of the tree only grow when the ground is dry. If I'm getting all this joy and enthusiasm in everything I do then my roots just sit there. And when the ground is dry and I have this sense, where's God? I can't find God in my life today. I can't feel him. I can't feel his love. I can't see it around me today. Then my roots have to grow. Okay. We got some questions while I was saying all that. That was good. (laughs) Where is the line to tell someone to stop his bad behavior? For instance, my father verbally abusing my mother. Yeah. I've done things that aren't in line with God's will, and people do that. What am I supposed to do when people are doing something bad, whether it's to me or to someone I care about? Or um, Sometimes it's the right thing to speak up. Sometimes it's the right thing to pick up the phone and call the police. Uh, the principles of recovery... 
I mean, ask for help with something like this. I do the same thing the person who wrote this card is doing. I ask someone. I don't try to answer it on my own. Um, I, I try to get help. I'm powerless over what people choose. Now, this is a principle I've found very useful, and I'm not sure it applies. I know there's some things here where it wouldn't apply. But with some bad behavior, I actually have to, in my mind, give the the person permission to do the bad behavior. In my mind. That sounds crazy. For instance, I'm going to, I've got to give permission, people permission to drive their cars on the road any way they choose. And I've got to give my sponsees permission to relapse. I don't tell them that. <laughs> but they're going to make the choice regardless of whether I have permission. When I, in my heart, let go of trying to control them, I no longer have to be a victim of whatever they choose. It doesn't have the power over me. I give away my power if, if I don't give them this permission. Now, when, it, when there's really, really horrible behavior happening, it, this is much more difficult. But I remain powerless over people's choice. I've only got my choice. I'm going to say a word, and I'm going to mention very quickly. <laughs> well, there's some fellowships, you know, Anon fellowships, and there's a concept called detachment, and I would encourage you to study that. But basically it means is that I try not to cause a crisis, but I also don't try to prevent one if that's in the natural order of things. When people behave badly, I sometimes have to make choices and um, that don't feel like good choices or, or it's just not what I want, but it's what I must do. Uh, I'm talking a lot in general principles. I'm going to let Marty uh, uh, share. Uh, he may have some specific Examples here. Thanks, Steve. Um, it comes to mind that that probably I would differentiate bad behavior from crime. If there's a crime, there's no question. Um, crime against a child or a person uh, that has no power or is unable to protect themselves, without a doubt. Um, that's something to pick up the phone and call the police. Um, verbally abusing, um, yeah, Steve had a good suggestion. There's a, there's a program specifically for that. Uh, it's my PhD program. <laughs> um, and, uh, and it kind of, it demands first that I, know where I'm at, where, how far I go, and where I stop, and where they begin. Um, my mother and father are uh, in hard times, middle of a divorce right now, and their relationship is their relationship. Their, their interactions are their interactions between two consenting, fully conscious, and capable adults. Um, Abusive words, yeah. And each of them has, has the power to say no, stop. Um, and yet they've chosen to remain in, in the dysfunction as long as they have. And, um, and by the way, they're on my, uh, I'm powerless over list also. So, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I would say explore the, Explore the options in the other program that helps you with the the idea of detachment. Um, so, um, so another question here: What are practical ways to practice these principles uh, in all your affairs with spouse, children, family, friends, work, church, anywhere? In addition. Um, so uh, the principles certainly apply to how I interact with any person, um, whether it be my wife, my children, friends, family, people. But I think I said it earlier, it's like there seems to be something harder about 
working the program in my home, and particularly with my wife, because I sleep with her. Um, that's it. You know, my best friend can say something with the exact same content and tone, and I excuse it as, oh, yeah, he's having a hard day. When my wife says it, I am Mount Vesuvius and I blow. So um, I think, you know, the closer and more intimate the relationship, the uh, the harder it is to, to work the principles, and yet they still apply. Um, you know, my, my own children, um, here recently, uh, uh, we were given the gift of the power going out, um, and one of my sons and I were sitting at the house when the power went out, and so now there's no TV to distract, there's no video game for him to be distracted with. There's no me checking out what's on, you know, the latest news page. Uh, and there we sat with each other. And it occurred to me that God just gave me an opportunity um, to invite relationship with my son. And uh, one of the questions that, that I ask people in my life and that I suggest for my sponsees is what is it what has it been like for you to be with me um first time I thought about asking that question it scared the crap out of me because I was afraid I knew what the answer was going to be um but the gift is that I get to just listen to them say without interruption, without me excusing, without me arguing the data, you know, what is your experience with me? And my son gave me that gift that night, sitting in the dark, in the quiet. Uh, all that's going is our gas fireplace because the power was out. And, uh, yeah, and he told me about how, Dad, you've always been more interested in what you wanted for me rather than what I wanted. Dang it. <laughs> and, and it was painful. And, and the way this came up was him talking about a movie about a guy in conflict with his dad that he cried in, that, that my son cried watching. And I was like, wow. So is that kind of like... Is that what it's been like for you? And I, and I thank God that it was dark because then I think he didn't have to feel afraid to see my face when he told me the truth. And uh, he's like, Yo, I would rather be like one of your friends than your son because you don't treat your friends that way. It's like, oh. And so, you know, I haven't said this to him, but I hope that maybe he feels the difference. But I'm seeking to treat my grown son, who is 21, who is an adult, a conscious and independent adult human being, to treat him like a friend, like I treat my friends now. Um, and that's based on principles that I learned in the fellowship, uh, not my own great thinking, because my thinking got me where I came through the door. So, Thanks, Marty. That's, um, yeah, that's, that's it. Um, that's how, that's how this has to work. Yeah. When I, when I go in, uh, on the selfish principle, spouse, children, family, friends, work, church, I want to talk. I want to tell you what I think and what I, you know, what you, what I think about you and what you need to do. What my, I want to tell you what my experience is of you. I want to give you some advice. It's really not true. I want to take something from you. I want to, I want to take your ability to be a person and, and create some object that's going to, be something for me to move around on the board to get my satisfaction, to wrest satisfaction and happiness out of this world, something that I can manage well. 
And this program teaches me to stop talking and to listen. And yeah, when I want to tell you, that's when I need to ask you. What is your experience? How can I ever be in a real relationship with you if is all I have is what I see when I look at you and watch you and then have my experience of watching you? I equate that with you, but that's not you. That's just my head. I can't have a real relationship unless I make space for you to tell me who you are. And so I love this thing. My service sponsor taught me when I'm in a business meeting or uh, some other kind of meeting and, and, and I think something's not going right, I want to go tell these people something, stop it. Go ask them. How do they see it? Listen. Don't respond. I can't listen while I'm waiting for my turn to respond. Let go of responding. Um, it works. I, I, I am still a relationship cripple, but I am a lot better than I used to be. Um, we've got no more time. So anything you have heard at this meeting is strictly the opinion of the individual participant. The principles of SA are found in our 12 Steps and 12 Traditions. Let's close with the third step prayer. for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. 
Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.